Welcome to Shh, the Secret Podcast. And now your hosts, JM and Bernstein. Hello, everyone. JM here, and welcome back to the ongoing madness that is The Secret Podcast. This month, we are going to take on the final installment of the 12 cities, the last one left, which is Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Montreal, a place famous for its bagels and smoked meat. The whole city is built on a mountain. It has a literal underground city for people to travel around during the harsh winters. Montreal gives the world a treasure trove of interesting talent. We all wear our sunglasses at night because of Corey Hart. The great Oscar Peterson is from Montreal, as well as someone I regard as part of the fabric of the 20th century, the late Leonard Cohen. It's the home of the Montreal Jazz Festival and McGill University. They used to have a baseball team in the National League until 2004, but it is the home of the Montreal Canadiens who gave us Maurice Rocket Richard. Most of all, Montreal is known for being French, French food and French language, and neither of those are all too familiar to me or my co-host, George Ward. This is a city that neither George or I have visited. I've been to every other site except Montreal. I think between George and I, we've been to almost every site many, many times, except neither one of us have been to Montreal, at least not to the area where the treasure's suspected to be buried. Luckily, we have the help of one of our team members, John, known online as Phoenix, here to help us out with explaining the city of Montreal as it relates to this puzzle. So welcome, George and John, to the show. Thanks for coming on and uh, taking the time to talk about this tonight. Uh... And that's where George usually has a snappy comment. Oh, my bad. John, did you bring your loonies and your toonies? Wait, what are we going to call you two? Because it's going to be weird talking to John. John 1, John 2? I'm JM, and he can be John. So, John, did you bring your loonies and your toonies? Do you have your Tim Hortons? Are you listening to Justin Bieber right now? I do have the Biebs on in the background, George. Thanks. Appreciate you guys saving the worst for last. This is uh, troublesome, having to talk about Montreal as the last city. I don't know if it's the worst, but it certainly is troublesome. Like you said, we're discussing image nine and the verse, and there's some controversy on an article came out recently about a guy from Canada who was using image nine and verse seven, I think the San Francisco verse to try and recover a cask that he feels is buried in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm pretty sure at this point, every single verse and every single painting has been associated with St. Louis in some way. Like, this is crazy. What is it about St. Louis and the secret? Like, people just really, really want there to be a cast there. What it is, is it's spurred from a comment. Was it Tron or Johan? Or do you know, John? That was Johan. There was something that happened. It was around the time that Brian and Andy found Cleveland. Well, the exact quote was, he wrote Byron a letter asking a question, which we don't know what the question was. But the response that was given to Johan from Byron was, I can tell you that you're right about St. Louis, but not right about the spot. I think it was something close to that. And then he also misspelt 
St. Louis, it was L-O-U-I-D, I think, which is right next to the S, to be fair. Yeah, but the question to that could have been like, do you like St. Louis? I hear it's a beautiful city. Like, I really enjoy beer there. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That was in response to a solution, my least favorite word ever, right? Solution. That Johan had provided Byron. Byron replied to his solution. No one saw the email that he sent, but I know that it was a solution that he had sent. So essentially, he provided him a walkthrough of where he thought that the cask was buried in St. Louis. Okay. And that was the response that Byron provided. Let me ask this. Are we even sure that the solution that he was providing Byron was about the city of St. Louis? Could he have been providing like a solution that had something to do with the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans? That's what I had thought. That would be the easiest way to get somebody off your tracks, right? If you're looking around, say, the moonwalk, and you're talking about the cathedral, and he writes back saying you're right about St. Louis, but wrong about the the spot. If you just post that and don't tell anybody else what the question was, that would be the easiest way to throw people off of New Orleans. Look, it's in St. Louis somewhere. Or he could have been asking about St. Louis, a person as it may tie into something. Who knows what he was asking? Yeah. Johan was in St. Louis at the time. Okay. And he was physically looking in St. Louis. Oh, uh, okay. The impression that I got from him, I mean, he was a very genuine guy online, you know, much respected. I don't think that he was talking about another city, but I have a feeling that the response could have been misinterpreted based on what he wrote in his email. Right. I learned so much about the city by working on this puzzle, you know, St. Louis is an amazing city. I never realized it. I wasn't from here. You're right about St. Louis, but not about the spot. You know, it could be something like that. There could be a 13th cask. Have I heard that? Well, there is a 13th cask. Maybe there's a 14th. Well, <laughs> well yours would be the 14th then, right? Right, right. Right. Well, who knows? I mean, and I joke, but, you know, people have theories, right? To be fair, there has been this floating theory for many years now about a possible 13th cask that is hidden somewhere and clues for it hidden deep within the book. But no one's been able to make any kind of progress to show that it's even a possibility. There's just little pieces of things that don't line up here and there that we find in the puzzle, which we're going to talk about some of those tonight. We have image nine. We're pairing that with verse five. There has been some controversy about this verse and the New Orleans verse possibly being swapped. We can get into that a little bit later. Let's just start with what we know for a fact, which is image nine. It's a very interesting thing going on here with this image because you would think that a city like Montreal for a heritage, for an immigration theme, that it would be French, but it's not. It's Dutch, so to speak, right? It's the Netherlands. It's the Netherlands. So, yeah, Dutch, and that's what we have for that image. If it is in Montreal, that would be very strange. However, we see that the painting itself is done to mimic a famous self-portrait by Rembrandt van Rijn. Early In the morning of September 4th, 1972, at the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts, there was a famous robbery. It was called the Skylight Caper, where three armed robbers used a skylight under repair to gain entry to the museum, to the rooftop. They tied up the guards, 
They left on foot with 18 paintings, including a rare Rembrandt landscape amongst the stolen works. This incident and the location of it will come into play later on in the podcast. Just keep that in mind as we move forward. Like all of these, we should be able to find some numbers in them. Four of them, as a matter of fact. John, do you want to go into some detail about where we can find these longitude-latitude numbers that we seem to be uh, finding in a lot of these paintings? Of course, John. In my opinion, I think we have all four numbers that we need in the painting. We have a 73 that's probably the clearest of all the numbers in the hair. And then right next to the 73, and that would be the right side of the hair if you're facing the painting. Right next to the 73, there appears to be a 45. The four is a little unusual. Yeah. It's almost blocked off. But if you look at the Expedition Unknown episode, it appears to be a little bit clear. You know, it's still questionable, but I would give a 45 there. And then in the flower, there appears to be a 46. You can make out a clear six and then right above the six, you could pass that for a four, in my opinion. The four being upside down and then the six being one of the lines, which also makes up the four. Correct. Yeah, that's how I see it. Okay. I guess the, the last one is probably what I feel, you know, people question the most. And that's the 74. And the 74 appears in the block that's directly above what we're calling the leg eater. Right. And that is what people often refer to as the runes. So I believe it's a backwards seven and a backwards four, if you look at it that way. I mean, we need a 74. That's pretty close. With a giant X in the middle, right? Yeah. We have 73, 45, 74, and 46, right? Yeah, but you can't leave off the 67. Let's talk about that for a second. People have postulated that that six and that seven it's interesting because that would coincide with two events which use the same numbers, 1967, the Expo, and then in 1976, the Olympics held in Montreal. So there is that interesting connection there as well. The 67 is iconic. I mean, that was the logo, right? So right. you have to think Montreal when you see that 67 or the St. Louis Blues. We were just talking about this today in the group. We do find other numbers in some of these paintings that aren't attributed to longitude or latitude. In this painting, we find the 67, which is attributed to a famous event that happened there. Perhaps we can use those clues to uh, look at some of these other numbers and what they might be for in some of these other cities, perhaps. Who knows? We have some squares. As John mentioned, there's the big square with what's called the leg eater lamp. They're both golden squares. It's interesting because when looking at the main image match, the thing commonly referred to as the leg eater lamp, which is a lamp that we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on that we actually find in Montreal, it's located inside of a big golden square. And it's funny that that lamp is found on a building inside an area of Montreal called the Golden Square Mile. Now, John, has it always been called that? You know, it's funny you ask that. It was changed at some point, and it's a different area. There's some arguments going on around this. Originally, it was the Square Mile, and the Square Mile was a much smaller area. It consisted of, I believe, nine streets 
that ran north and south and then three streets that ran east and west. Okay. And then at some point in time, I can't remember the story on it. It'd be a real easy one to Google. There was someone that came along, I believe it was a journalist, and he referred to it as the Golden Square Mile. Okay. And over time, that evolved into a bigger area. The interesting thing about it is if you look at the square mile and the parameters, the Mount Stephen Club is not in the square mile. However, it is in the Golden Square Mile. That's interesting. Was this something that happened in the 70s or is this a recent development? The change in the name? Yes. I believe it was around the 50s or the 60s. And, you know, don't hold me to that. Okay. That's, okay. that's just me going off a of poor memory. But at the time of the cask, it was commonly referred to as the Golden Square Mile. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It's interesting because several buildings in that area come into play. The Museum of Fine Arts, where the Rembrandt was taken from, that I mentioned earlier is located there, as well as the bicycle shop of A.T. Lane, which we'll get to in a little bit. Another big thing we have to talk about in this painting is the big blotch next to the leg eater, which we now know from video footage retrieved from interviews with John Palancar at his studio with the originals on display that the blotch was covering up a fleur-de-lis, which was originally on the painting. John, do you want to explain the night that you watched the episode and saw that? I think it's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> it's it's a difficult thing to describe and probably understand. You know, I've been looking at that unusual shape that sits next to what we call the leg eater for close to 15 years. The closest thing you can probably come to is, you know, it, it may be some building match. I look back through Q4T. I think Fox even mentions that at one point over the years. It's ironic how much Fox contributed to this hunt. I was watching the episode. It's funny. I'm up in Canada, so I'm streaming the episode. We didn't have it at the same time. It wasn't going to air for a couple of weeks. I think like most of us that have been involved for a long time, I wasn't extremely interested in the story that Mr. Gates was telling or, you know, Renner was telling. No, we all had our eyes on what we could pick up in the background. I'm sure all of us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I was chomping at the bit to see if I could see some original artwork. Right. So I'm watching it. It was entertaining. Right. I'll, I'll give it that. I thought it was extremely entertaining. But when they got to the Palancar interview. I was just praying to see that Montreal image. It took a second, and I, I believe I, I am George at some point, either that night or the next morning. I swear I almost had a mild heart attack. I could not believe that that blob that I'd been calling it for 15 years was not in the original artwork. You know, you're looking at a fleur-de-lis that, ironically, is right next to the leg eater on the fence. And I think I just remember the morning after uh, your post in our, our private group, I think it just said, uh, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that was like my I reaction. That would be how I phrased it. Yeah. <laughs> That was pretty much my reaction when I saw it, too. I was just looking at... I, re, I was laying in bed watching this on a tablet. Rachel's next to me asleep because she's bored out of her mind and doesn't care. <laughs> and I woke her up going, what the fuck? 
She's like, what? Also, when we caught a glimpse of some of the other art that wasn't cropped, it is interesting, not only what's lost in translation in the printing, but what was intentionally left out or intentionally covered up in in this. Yeah, there was definitely manipulation. Yeah, for sure. And Palancar's signature was left out of the Montreal one as well. That was cropped out. Montreal is much wider than, than the book. And it leads you to think, what else in the other paintings that we can't see is left out. What in these other paintings is covered up? Just like the St. Augustine painting, they've got that big, huge purple circle that looks like it's covering something up and doesn't look like anything else in the painting. Is there anything like that in the rest of the painting? There could be. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Purple clip art circle. Yeah. Right, right. The interesting thing about this painting, when you compare it to the rest of them, is that it also has no blue in it whatsoever. There's no blue highlights. There's nothing outlined in blue. If that is a style choice, like some people say it is, why is it completely left out of this painting? That's another question. I've got to say that that blue is a style choice. Like, if you look at any of Palancar's other art, it has the blue hue, too. But the question is, why does he use it? Kit said it's a style choice. Okay, it may be a style choice, but I still think he's specifically using it to draw attention to things. Yeah, in his art, he uses that blue hue for a very specific reason. What is it? Now, that reason is going to expand across, you know, not just the secret artwork, but all of his artwork in general. But there's a reason he uses that in his art. And figuring out what that is, whether it's some sort of technique or he's using it to hide something, figuring out what that is would be a big help. A lot of mystery going on in this one in particular. The little box with the numbers that John had pointed out that also has the giant X in it, some people think could be a representation for the street uh, Pius X, where the Olympic Stadium's located. That and the connection to the 67 in the flower, the 76 in the flower, however you want to interpret it, that could be a connection there. Um, Some people have looked around that stadium area and found things that possibly could fit in. I even went off on a wild tangent with a subway ride regarding that spot and getting to the Peel station from there. What do you think about that area, the Olympic Stadium area? I think it costs the city a ton of money. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think about it. The big O, as they called the Olympic Stadium, and when I say O, it's O-W-E. Right. It costs Montreal a ton of money, and I think 30 years to pay off. You know, they implemented a special tobacco tax to pay off the Olympic Stadium. It's funny. I don't have a ton of interest in that area with regards to the hunt. I think the X is for October. I think we need a 10. I believe it's a Roman numeral 10. Okay. You may be able to argue that the steps that we see at the collar of the shirt could represent 10, you know, five steps on each side. It depends on how you count them. I think you've made some better connections than I have, John, to the Olympic Stadium area. It's iconic to Montreal, though. I I give you that. The stadium wasn't finished. There's a gentleman online that, you know, has some pretty interesting, I would say, theories around Olympic Stadium. But a lot of what he references, you know, wasn't built for another 10 years. And I just have a problem with that. I I don't think you, you can... Fast forward. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That'd be a small, small problem. It is interesting. I just like to cover all the bases and point out in the past, we've been accused at presenting only one side, but 
I want to make sure that we put out everything that we know of in hopes that maybe someone else will pick up on something we missed. I think we've been pretty thorough on that area. I'll talk about that connection I made to that area in a bit. And I feel now nothing more than just another one of these random connections that you can make with very ambiguous clues. Like when I stood in front of St. Louis Cathedral and started reciting another verse and everything was right there. So I think it's probably something like that. But for now, let's talk about maps for a second. If you take a satellite view of the city of Montreal, you will see that the river system lines up with the half crooked smile and the chin and the two lines going from the nose to the corners of the mouth. And this would represent, I mean, Montreal is actually an island. I think it's completely surrounded by water. With a river going through it, you'll be able to see a correlation between the lines in the face, the mouth, the lines from the nose going to the corners of the mouth, the shape of the half frown, half smile mimics the river running right through the city. So you'll see this correlation there when you look into a map. Certainly, It's probably the basis that JJP used to make that face. And the right collar, as John pointed out to me, specifically shows the St. Lawrence River outline pretty clearly. Let's talk about this face aside from the map for a second. Let's talk about this face for a minute. There's a resemblance of, I guess you would call it the the tightness of the eyes, the pinched face to a famous Canadian. Is that right? Yeah, you could say that. I I would say he's pretty famous. In my opinion, and another nod to Fox, you know, I think he was the first person that ever pointed this out that I saw. The face is a cartoon character of John McDonald. John McDonald was prime minister in Canada. And you got to forgive me, guys. You do know that I'm not Canadian. So my Canadian history is extremely lacking. It's okay. You're there, though. You're close. I am. You know, I, I can drive by his statue when needed. He was prime minister in 1837. Was he the first prime minister? He was the first prime minister of Canada. Many people feel, and there is a resemblance to the face of McDonald and the face that we see in this uh, Rembrandt-style painting. Yeah, it's it's really similar. I don't think it's only the face. I think what the dead giveaway is, is the hair. If you look at pictures of McDonald, even when he was younger, he had those unusual curls of hair on the side of his head. You know, that's clearly represented in the image. I just feel it's McDonald. Even if you just go to the wiki page and look at the picture of him on his wiki page, if you're looking at him, the right eye is kind of squinted while the left eye is a little wider. His nose is huge. His hair looks similar. Yeah, it really looks like a cartoon character of this dude. So we have the face that, that matches up to what looks like this, the first prime minister of Canada. Uh, we have these numbers that point us in the longitude and latitude of Montreal. We're pretty sure this is a, a Canadian-based thing here. No, no, no. It's, a, it's in St. Louis. Right, right. The, the newspaper told me. <laughs> yeah, they have that blues logo in there. And they have an arch. Don't forget, they have an arch. Right, there is, yes, more arches. If you put two together, they make a three, John. Yes. (laughs) We have some hands. Here's another monkey wrench in the, the whole deal. The hands which aren't exactly in the shape of Rodin's famous sculpture named The Secret, but damn close enough to cause some discussion due to the title of the work. I've showed this to all of you. We all know it's not exact. You can say that again. It's not exact. It's 
it's not similar. I mean, the, the I would say they're both two hands. Yeah. That are clasped. All right. All right. No, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, it could be inspired. It, like, it's one of those things where you look at, you know, two things and you can say, oh, this could have been inspired by that. But there's no reasonable connection. There, the, It doesn't give you anything. No. We've kind of thrown that out. It's something that can be mentioned. It's brought up in the past. Except that, I, I mean, I think it's important to know what inspires an artist to do something. Well, we're finding that a lot of famous paintings inspired uh, John Palancar to hide clues in these paintings that he made for this puzzle. Right. And even if that inspiration isn't a clue in and of itself, I think it's important to know what the artist was thinking about when he made this painting, what his sort of frame of mind was, what was inspiring him. Right. I agree with that. I mean, you have to give credit to that, the name of the sculpture, right? The secret. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Right. Yeah. Without that title, I don't think anybody would have made noise about it at all, but it just happens to be a strange tie-in. We have some golden brown checkered patterns all over the image, and this isn't unsimilar to San Francisco. We find a similar technique with two shades of color making checkerboard patterns. John, you found out some very interesting things about these patterns that no one had really stumbled upon before, correlating with the map and the uh, the streets that we see in the Golden Square Mile. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? This stemmed from a, a dialogue that you and I had online, you know, just brainstorming, you know, what could that be? You know, so many people look at the hands and they're talking about a cathedral, you know, that old saying, you know, about the steeple and if you make a... Inside are all the people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, what does that give us? You know, you have some just outstanding churches in Montreal. If you want to put a church in an image, you're going to have no problem doing so. There's no need to get that abstract with it, right? The one thing we can glean from those hands is those fingers are pointing. You started to get me thinking in that direction. You know, maybe it's not so much the hands, but what they're they're pointing to. One's pointing to the leg eater, and then one's pointing to a very specific block in a series of nine blocks. Took me a while to make that connection, but we talked earlier about the square mile and the streets of the square mile. If you look at the square mile, there's actually nine streets that run north to south. Right. So if you position them as you would a map reading from the west to the east. Well, if you position it using the face in the river system, if you line it up that way, it it, it lines up exact uh, orientation you need to complete the other part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most maps I've read, I, I usually start west to east, but, you know, some people read them upside down. So I'll give you that. You're telling us there's nine streets in the Golden square mile and then you're also saying that there's nine of these blocks and the fingers pointing to one of them if you just happen to you know be looking at those nine streets the one that the finger would be pointing to out of the nine if you're looking at them from west to east is drummond street drummond street just happens to be where the mount stephen club is that street would start with on the west side i believe it was Guy, then Simpson, Redpath, 
Avenue du Musée, the street that the museum's on. Prior to that, it was Ontario. And then Mountain, Drummond, Stanley, Peel, and McTavish. And when you line those streets up and assign each one of those blocks in those nine blocks going from the flower over to the square where the leg eater is, you find that the finger's pointing to Drummond and to the leg eater, and we find the leg eater lamp in front of the house of George Stephen, or the Mount Stephen Club, as it would have been, on Drummond Street, exactly where the fingers tell us we should find it. The way I see it, it's a look here type of thing. It's the sixth block, which would be Drummond Street, and, you know, it's just saying, hey... Find me here. And if you're following along with the whole Rembrandt story and you've picked up on the clue of the self-portrait and did a little research and found out about that famous robbery, then you may be already looking in that area at the Museum of Fine Arts, which is only, what, three blocks away from there? Two streets up, three streets over. It's not far at all. Certainly as close as the museum in Chicago was to the Bowman. Yeah, definitely. Just a couple blocks. So we have what's maybe considered a map hidden in there. And of course, in San Francisco, there's a a very similar kind of thing going on with the fingers pointing to blue squares along the two sleeves of the image there, which we had also determined probably meant 34 or 43, depending on how you read it. No surprise that he may be doing the same thing here. And it's very interesting that all of those things line up, all those streets line up exactly with it just seems too good to be a coincidence, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I'd like to think so, but, you know, I think we've all said that before, too. So, <laughs> right. Take it for what it's worth. I think the interesting thing about it when I look at it is the method is different than what we saw in Cleveland and Chicago. We have to keep exploring what different methodology is out there that could have been incorporated into these puzzles. To me, it's somewhat logical. I like it. It's also interesting to mention that the collar of the figure in the image also lines up with the Montreal Green Line, and that was where my very similar thought on the nine squares came into play, which was basically, if you did feel that there was a tie to Pius X where the Olympic Stadium was, and the flower was to represent the Olympic Stadium, if you did take the Green Line which I felt was somewhat represented by the collar, uh, the shape, the, the path of the green line. It was built for the expo, right around the expo time. So that was, I believe the metro was around 66. It was right before the expo, if I wasn't mistaken. I'll share an image of what I see, and then okay. I believe I have a metro map that confirms what you're talking about, the nine stops between the two. If you take... The green line from the Pius X station and go nine stops, it drops you at Peel Street, which is right in the Golden Square Mile. And it's a block and a half from, again, from the Mount Stephen Club where we find this leg eater. And the reason that we're harping on this leg eater so much, and we can get into this a little bit right here, it's not only one of the only things that we've found an image match for in Montreal, it's also extremely unique in nature. And this, my friends, is the reason why this image must must be attributed to the city of Montreal. Because John did some research on George Stephen and his house and a lot about him. And why don't you tell 
our listening audience what you know about George Stephen. I'll keep it brief. You know, I don't want to get into too much detail on the history of George Stephen, but, you know, he was at one time the president of the Bank of Montreal. He was heavily involved in the CPR, the railway that was built that ran through Canada. So he was like a Vanderbilt of Canada. A baron. Absolutely. At the time that he built the house, he was the wealthiest man in all of Canada. When you research the house and you look at how it was built, the materials that were used, you know, they brought in mahogany from Cuba. They talk about the marble that they brought in from Italy. Everything that these people did for the houses in the square mile almost a competition. They were one-upping each other, so to speak. The new guy comes in, he builds a house that's got to be better than the one up the road. Right. The badge of wealth, so to speak. Right. And these are the elite of Canada at the time. So there's been a lot of discussion. And even when I was younger and I had first seen the post online, I was living in Canada at the time. I followed Quest for Treasure religiously at the time. A user by the name of Ravel 07 posted about that Legator lamp, as it's come to be known. He didn't say anything after. He just took a picture of it, basically said it was in Montreal, and posted that online. And this was 15 years ago. I guess my uh, knowledge of the internet and you know how to use it was lacking then. I decided that we were going to go for a drive and try and find this damn thing. All I had was a photo to go on. At the time, we went out, and I thought it was in, in the old port, so in old Montreal, as it was called. So we're driving through old Montreal and, you know, cobblestone roads, old buildings. It just didn't look right. My wife at the time said, you know, I think that's downtown. We were driving up and down Sherbrooke. We drove up and down St. Catherine a number of times, and then we were on De Maisonneuve, you know, which is just above the club. And we were going through the light and she spotted it from the corner of the street. And I just whipped over, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, we got out. It was like, I just assumed that they were everywhere. Right. I think I was 28, 29. I was like, well, that's cool. But, you know, this thing isn't in Montreal. I don't think we'd even identified Montreal as a city at that point. I don't think the longitude, the latitude, anything was set in stone. You know, I just assumed. It was just kind of like, here's a lamp. I found a lamp that looks like this. We didn't know the nature of the lamp or the history behind it. Yeah, I mean, it was dead on. But my initial thought was, they're going to find one of these in St. Louis now. <laughs> Right. That's what I thought it would be. You know, and 15 years later, I guess, matured slightly, and I understand the wealth situation of Lord Baron Stephen. <laughs> I think that's a unique lamp. You know, we see some in Italy, but other than that and the Fisk catalog, I don't know. I, I don't think we're going to find another one. Let's clue people in, George, on where these are made. Let them know, because you did some research on where they were made, who made them, and all that, right? Yeah, so they're made by a guy named Fisk out of New York. And he was a pretty big sort of iron worker. He did a lot of fences and, and then a lot of lamp posts. This was done specifically for a, um, a competition, I believe, or, or some kind of like display in France or Italy. One of those two. I'm not, I'm not real sure. These were not really mass produced in the way that you think of most lamp posts. They were a very, very small run. I, I want to say these were actually bought from when they did the competition in Paris or Italy or whatever, that these came from there. Still hold me to that. 
these lampposts, they obviously are not mass produced. They're not everywhere. We've been looking for these things for 15 years. And literally everybody that works on the secret, every time they see a lamppost, they look at the bottom of it to see if there's a leg eater. We've been looking for them for 15 years. We found them in two places, the one in Italy and then the one in Montreal. There's no debating the leg eater. That's almost as specific as the fence post in Chicago. I mean, the only reason the fence post would be more specific is because it leans a little bit in the same way the actual fence post does. But there's no arguing that. That is that. Exactly. For all those people who did read that article in St. Louis about the cask being there, just take note that this lamp that we find in this image that he's trying to attribute to St. Louis is a one-of-a-kind, I am richer than you, everything I have is better than yours kind of one-of-a-kind piece that is not going to be found anywhere else. The guy in St. Louis just figured same thing. You know, they were probably everywhere. You can probably find them everywhere. Fisk made some lampposts that were kind of like this, but completely different. The mass-produced version of the leg eater, there's some in New York in front of, I believe it's a courthouse in Brooklyn. I want to say the cat face or dog face, whatever is sitting right above the leg. It's not actually eating it. Everything's completely different shape. I think that leg doesn't even doesn't have a hoof. It's like a cat's paw or something. So they're kind of similar in shape, but completely different in detail. And this one is obviously the exact same as the one in Montreal. All these people, especially the guy in St. Louis, who's like, well, maybe there's just one, you know, there's a lamppost in St. Louis like this. We find one. People have been looking for it for 15 years in St. Louis. <laughs> like you would think. And by now, I mean, this was published in a St. Louis newspaper, right? All of St. Louis has read it or, you know, a good portion of it. Did any of them pop up and be like, hey, there's one of those where I work? No. Right. The only one we found is in Montreal. I do find it interesting, though. Why do you do? He did press in St. Louis for the book. Yeah, but he did press in a lot of places. I don't know. We found very little. We found Chicago. We found Heavy Metal Magazine. And we found the article in St. Louis. It's just strange. The St. Louis article was a large article, too. I mean, it was yeah. it was significant. Um, That's true. I found that odd as well, John. I choose to ignore it <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. It's one in a long list of things that don't make a whole lot of sense in this hunt. One more quick piece of trivia. The phrase leg eater was coined by you, John, on August 14th, 2006, and has been used ever since that time. Very creative. Interesting factoid. I don't know that that is confirmed. I believe Mr. Uh, Falcon Matt provided that information. Yeah, Matt, Malted Falcon online. I've since uh, requested erasure from Q4T, so I, I believe that is uh, that is not not a true statement. Okay. <laughs> well, we're gonna go with it. Like <laughs> the one thing I've learned in the secret. Yeah, and I coined the most uh, ridiculous term in the the history of the secret. Which. The, the one thing I've learned from people who are working on The Secret is facts are flexible. So we're just going to go with this. Yeah, they certainly are. Is there anything else about the image? And I should mention also that there is another lamp at a building just down the block. Yeah, it's a couple streets over. Is it on Peel or Stanley? I can never... Wait, there's another leg eater? Well, there's another lamp similar. Yeah, it's similar to the one that you mentioned in Brooklyn, George. It's that style of a lamp. And I, I don't consider these leg eaters because there's really no cat 
swallowing the legs. So it's it's more of a leg lamp as opposed to a leg beater lamp. I was going to say, man, you can't let me go on that big long rant and then be like, oh, there's also one right down the road. <laughs> yeah, it's two streets over. It's actually, ironically, you know, you brought up the, the point about Mr. Lane. A.T. Lane. Alfred T. Lane. Yeah, that's the building that you were referencing there, I believe. And that's the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association, which I believe was a combination of Lane's Bike Club, a snowshoeing club, and perhaps a hockey club. I don't know. It was three sports clubs that came together. And yeah, if you want to see another similar style lamp, stop by. There's two in front of that building. Other than that, I don't think there's too much more going on in that image. Uh, there, I guess there is those, I guess the face up at the top of the, the hat. There's a face or some sort of line. I, I know I've heard people talk about it potentially being one of the streets or roads that runs through Mount Royal Park. It's similar. I've heard something about a river. I, I believe at one point the Ottawa River, someone online mentioned it. It's not perfect and it does look like a face if you turn it 45 degrees. It's an unusual uh, image. I've got nothing for that. I've, I've looked and looked. I've, I've got nothing. So there appear to be some kind of symbols sketched into some of the squares in the hat right around where that face is at as well. Again, things that we haven't been able to figure out of all the things in the image that we can say that we found, that lamp is the only identifiable piece. Is that correct? Other than the map matches. I'd agree with that. Some people have also mentioned the wall. They think they see either a fee, you know, which is, I believe, ferry or something similar to ferry in French or Peel, which would be one of the streets. You know, if I look at the wall in that same area, you almost appear to see a faint outline of a rectangle. And it's even more prominent in the Expedition Unknown episode. And I've always looked at that as, well, you know, is that representing, a, you know, the stolen Rembrandt? And then, you know, I come back to reality and move on with my life. <laughs> Let's move on to the verse that we attribute to this. And let me ask this. What is your, because everybody who studies this particular city has a different kind of answer for this. Some people don't even attribute this verse 5 to Montreal. They use a different verse. But what is it in this verse 5 that has you grounded to knowing that that's the verse that goes with that image? We have the city of Montreal. I have my tie-ins, which I'll get to with what I believe. But is there anything just looking at it plainly that you can see in this verse that you can tie it directly to Montreal in some way? You know, for me, it was process of elimination. I hate this verse. I would trade this verse tomorrow for a new verse. I think it's the only one that makes logical sense. You know, there's quotes, you know, too many concrete ties to the verses right. that I could make fit better, I guess I would say. So, I think by process of elimination, you know, this is my verse. I know you have some interesting things that, you know, I may agree with or disagree with, but I don't have anything concrete that says, hey, this is Montreal. You know, I'm your verse. George, is there anything you see in there before I get into my explanation? I mean, it's not like Milwaukee where he gives you a last name. He gives you Mitchell there. 
Or St. Augustine, where he gives you the tall grass. Right, <laughs> the first chapter or whatever. Yeah. The first chapter. Yeah, yeah. Other verses have concrete ties. In this one, there's not so much. I think it's probably why there's controversy about it. But was there anything that you latched onto in the verse that you were like, okay, that's Montreal? No, nothing at all. That's uh, crazy. The Japanese hints tell us about the first line of this verse, verse 5. It says that this is a proper noun. Now, as we see how the puzzle works in other cities, the image gives you a city through coordinates, longitude, latitude, or a, you know, a rebus code in one of them. The verse has to be tied in to the image somehow, so you have to tie the verse to the city and make that connection. They're a little easier in some of the other cities. In this one, it's not so easy because there's not a in-your-face reference. However, we do know that he hides clues in famous works of art and also works of literature. Lane being a proper noun, I'm going to talk more about a poet named Gilbert Parker in a little bit. That connection could possibly come in with Lane, and that's also how I attribute the connection to Montreal. Let's talk about A.T. Lane, who we were just mentioning, uh, the lamp in front of his building, the MMA, on, it's on Peel, near Sherbrooke, actually, founded the Montreal Bicycle Club. It has that unique lamp, like the one we find outside the Mount Stephen Club. But, John, there's also another interesting thing about their logo. Doesn't their logo also have something that applies to the... Yeah, I mean, when I looked at Alfred Lane originally... I think the most interesting thing for me is he was the first person to bring a bicycle to North America. You know, that's pretty significant. I thought that's maybe something that Byron would have been interested in, but then I could not tie it to anything. I ended up going to the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association and just looking around that building. Right. The logo is up on the building. It's some sort of wheel with wings. It's one of those just absurd connections, right? You know, you look at it and you go, oh my God, there's the wings. And then you're like, wait, it's a wingless bird. How can a wheel with wings be a wingless bird, right? So, yeah. I don't know that there's any connection with uh, Mr. Lane, but, right. you know, interesting fact. I learned a lot of random things studying the secret. It's interesting that the name exists. It would be a proper noun in that instance, as the hints suggest it should be. And the building is within walking distance easily of the lamp that we did find yeah true let's move on to the line that you hate the most <laughs> oh god 222 i mean it's come on what are what are we talking about here and i think proper noun really threw me when i heard that for lane because i think most people combine lane with 222 it's an unusual verse you you start off with a single word and move into three numbers i think a lot of people thought that lane meant a street you know a path of some sort and 222 was some kind of indicator if you go up drummond street you can see these alleyways that run along drummond you know in between the streets and there was also a building that was right on the corner of drummond and de maisonneve that was called the Drummond Court Building. The most interesting thing that I ever found with Lane, prior to knowing it was a proper noun, they built the Maisonneve after, I, I believe the street was Burnside at the time. When they built out the Maisonneve and made it a one-way street with multiple lanes, they tunneled through this building. 
So there was literally a lane, and I'll send you guys pictures of this, that ran through a building at the end of Drummond Street. And I'm like, that's your lane, right? That's the lane. It's got to be. And then these Japanese hints come up and, uh, you know, burst my bubble. Proper down. They also told us to look for uh, a, a clue in the dictionary for Milwaukee. That's something to do with drumming. And to this date, no one's, you know, we still haven't figured out what the hell that is. That's forest clue, right? I mean, that's, is that line two of the Milwaukee verse? As you walk, the beating of the world? Yeah, the beating of the world. You know, I think Forrest Blight was the guy that found out about this. That is the perfect clue for Montreal. Beating of the world is drum, mond. Mond being world in French. You know, what a brilliant riddle. Too bad it's the wrong city. Do we have Montreal and Milwaukee mixed up? Perhaps. I don't know what the Grand 200 is and all that, but, you know, I might start looking. All this time I need to be at that water tower. I knew it. (laughs) But 222, for one thing, it's hard to know how to even read the line. Is it 222 or is it 2202 as in a 2, a 20, and then another 2? Or is it double 22 or 44? Uh, now, Japanese clues were pretty clear on that one. It's two, the number 20, and the number two. That's, yeah, I, I think that was always clear, right? I, yeah. I don't know why there was an argument there. It says two, 20, two. But, I mean, people do interpret it differently, but I agree with George on that one. I think he's right on. It's three individual numbers. The number two, the number 20, and the number two. So, like a combination lock code. Or, I mean, one of the rare helpful things that you find on the wiki, it could also be Roman numerals. You could be looking for two vertical posts, two X's, and then two vertical posts. You, you don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's almost our block, right? If you look at that box that's above the leg eater, that could almost be 222 if there was an extra X in there. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly that would be a tie, another self-referential tie, like the land by the window. Something to mention about this, one user felt that this was a badly translated piece of French. The French term devant D, I'm not French, so I hope I'm saying that right, but that would mean in front of. 222 translated to French gives us du saint vendu, or a simpler form, du vendu, still a, a stretch from the pronunciation of in front of in French, which is the devant D. So I don't know. If it is intended to be a wordplay puzzle, then that would give us something in front of to look at, but it just seems very, very convoluted. <laughs> Going with it like that, it doesn't really fit in the verse anyway. Right. Something to mention, though. It was interesting. I don't know. It's like lane in front of, you'll see an arc of lights. How does that work? Well, it fit in when you were starting at Olympic Park and looking for something in front of it. That was his thing. But, well, I don't want to get into giving out all of his info on the podcast without talking to him first. But there is a guy, an online guy. He's the same guy that figured out the letters Boston were included in the Perard illustration in the front of the book. He had some pretty interesting theories, which started at Olympic Stadium and went somewhere there. I took his, you know, I was firmly under the belief that it's got to be somewhere in the Golden Square Mile by that lamp. So that's how I developed my subway theory of the nine stops. I was not privy to the Pius X stop on the green line in Olympic Stadium. I kind of concocted my own little solve there, or theory, as I should say. Yeah, he had an interesting theory about how you would get to the subway from the stadium. How long has he been working on the puzzle? Because how long has he been working on the puzzle? I don't know. I haven't talked to him in a while. That Boston thing, that was known before 
before I came around. He had found it or posted it on a different website. I don't even know if it was Q4T. Maybe it was something awful or the 12 or something like that. I thought it was Reddit. Was it on Reddit? Yeah. Wasn't he the guy that said he posted on Reddit? Oh, okay. You're talking to the guy that I was talking to on Reddit for a while. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Seemed like a smart guy. So it was an interesting theory. He was a very nice guy. Perhaps he'll come on the podcast and talk about it sometime. Maybe he should come back on Reddit. He hadn't been on Reddit in forever. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while either. Maybe he could be a broken wrist. You never know. Wow. <laughs> so, so you'll see an arc of lights. Uh, it's a very tricky line, very ambiguous. And everyone gets it wrong. Everyone reads it as you'll see an arch of lights. And it is not. Right, no, it's an arc. It's an arc. An arch of lights is a physical like shape. It's lights making, you know, a half circle or whatever. It's a curve of lights. An arch like in St. Louis. Yeah. An arc of lights is a curved shape made by the light from physical lights. Right. Right. It's two completely different things. So everybody that's looking for these curved lights, like that's not even what the verse tells you to look for. There is a giant, humongous cross on top of Mount Royal that's lit up at night. It could refer to that. How is that an arc of light? I have no idea, but that's what some people think. <laughs> I didn't know people thought that. I, I guess I'm just finding this out. Brian Zinn postulated that there is a statue of Joan of Arc. It could be referring to that. I could go with that. Yeah, I could go with that. I think that's in a different part of town, though. It's far, but I, I mean, yeah, maybe. I've heard one interesting thing. I don't know if I ever shared this because it was never really my idea. There's a street that's a couple streets to the west of Drummond called Crescent. And that street has always been an extremely busy, bustling party type of street. It was lit up, there's bars, it's got that kind of vibe. And I've had a few people that have said, you know, I think Crescent is our arc of lights. I could buy that too. It doesn't seem perfect, but you never know. In many of these, we've found that he does call out streets so that i mean that's certainly a possibility he hasn't really called out a street in montreal in the verse as of yet we can you know i'm with you on that verse it's a tough one right yeah it's i have one for arc of lights and i think i shared this with you guys as well i found a photo from the corner of drummond and saint catherine street which is a half a block south of the Mount Stephen Club. St. Catherine Street at this time was very lit up. It had the neon lighted signs on many of the buildings. And right at the corner there, there's a sign that says Arcade, A-R-C-A-D-E. So maybe our arc of lights is just an arcade. Could have been some burnt out lights in that sign and maybe it said arc at the time. Who knows? Yeah, that's pretty stretchy too, but you know, I don't have much for it. This whole thing is very elastic. <laughs> Weight and roots extended. Another tricky line. I haven't been able to crack this line. I don't know anyone who has. We've examined the Parliament fires, the Olympic Stadium disasters, the Biosphere fire, which you like, but not a rock-solid event or solution for that line that's more than tenuous. I mean, it's hard to know what the point of reference can be. What are we looking for? Is this a riddle? Is it a quote? Is it a historical event? Do we see it written somewhere? It could be an algebra thing. Weight and roots would be algebra terms. I really don't know how to interpret it. I believe the Japanese hints say, think about construction. 
or something of that nature. So from the hints, you'd have to think it's a building or something. I know that the one thing that I always thought about when I think of the area that the Mount Stephen Club is in, the metro system was built underneath that area. So there was a lot of tunneling. I have a picture where half of that street on the opposite side is ripped up. You can see down 100 feet. I couldn't make any connections, though. I have nothing for weights and roots extended biosphere makes a lot of sense you know it burned down it was the geodesic dome so it ties into the back of the book right you know talking about buckminster fuller you know that's out on saint helens island that's nowhere near where we are it's like a seven mile trip whatever weight and roots are together they saved the site again you'd have to think it's connected to the previous line that next line referring to the preservation of some place or building or the answer to what could be a riddle i don't know is weight a person and roots a person and they did something to donate money for a building who knows what it is what sucks about that building is i don't know how many times it's been renovated but it seems like every time i see a picture of it it's under construction what the mount stephen club yeah i know there are trees that have been ripped up didn't like will house run a bulldozer through there once and yeah right. like it's it's crazy how much um so i mean these clues could have made absolute perfect sense in the late 70s and then they just renovated the building you know and now they don't make sense anymore and I don't think the building was necessarily changed much. Well, not the building, but the land. The lawns changed over slightly. There were trees and there were different looks on the lawn. But the building itself, when they built that hotel, they built an underground parking garage on the back of the hotel. And it caused the foundation to shift. So essentially, by the owners of the hotel purchasing this thing and building this boutique hotel, they almost killed off a Montreal Heritage building. The city was up in roars. The news was out there. You know, there were interviews. It was pretty wild. They thought they may lose the whole facade of the building. They actually pulled the facade down. They refinished it and then put it back up. If you look at some of the pictures online, there's like poles holding the facade up. Pretty crazy. John probably hates this, but it's the main reason that I think Montreal, you're just not going to be able to find it. If we've learned anything from Cleveland and from Chicago, there's something in this image that you should be able to see from the dig spot. There's a fence post in Chicago. There was the whole planner in Cleveland. And the only thing in this painting in Montreal that you can see that's unique is the leg eater. So wherever you're digging, you should be able to see that thing. I totally agree with that. It's a real problem. That site is a real problem. But let me ask you this. Since it's been turned into a hotel, did you go inside? Yeah, I've been inside. I haven't been into the hotel part. I looked at staying at the hotel probably a couple months ago, and you know we ended up going somewhere else. So the building itself is actually a bar restaurant. The hotel is behind it. They built like a, a high rise behind it, and you enter through the bar restaurant area. And then you go back into the hotel. Oh, okay. So I've been to the bar and restaurant a few times. And I mean, I've even eaten there prior to it being taken over by the hotel. But the one thing I'll say now is it's somewhat of a conglomerate. They own multiple properties. They're not extremely knowledgeable about the building. They have some knowledge. I think there's pockets there, but I don't think there's much to be gained from talking to the current owners. Does it have granite walls? No, it's limestone. Right. Everyone mistakes that for granite. That's not granite. That's limestone. 
Yeah, but would Byron have mistaken it for granite? I don't know. You know, that's a big question around this hunt. Just as much as he would have mistaken a birch tree. But did he, right? You know, everyone says that. This guy seemed super smart. No, he didn't mistake a birch tree and he didn't mistake the granite. No, not at all. No way, right? What did Ben Ason say? He would be on the exercise bike always reading, constantly reading a book. He was a smart dude. Anyway, as an aside, I just looked up how much it would cost to stay at the Mount Stephen Club, and it's like $530 a night Canadian. Oh, perfect. Which is like $37 US. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's super expensive, but it looks really good. Yeah, yeah, they're playing it up, right? Like they've created a boutique hotel, you know, yeah. it's marketed to a specific audience. It's nothing special, though. Those pop up all over. So it doesn't have granite walls. The term windswept halls. Now, this is where I want to come in with this Gilbert Parker thing so that you guys can shoot it down or do whatever you will with it. Here is where I want to bring this back. The Montreal novelist and politician Gilbert Parker, who wrote stories and poems, some of which correspond with this verse, like the connection with Treasure Island in Charleston and abroad in America. This is one of these verses that seems to cite some interesting pieces of the same person's work. From the first line of his poem entitled The Citadel, it reads, A night windswept and bound with glee. Also, the first line of the verse could refer to another work of his which was made into a movie called The Lane That Had No Turning, also would be a proper noun. And then when you move to the next line, Citadel in the Night, with the irony of the above line coming from a poem titled The Citadel, one would think there would be a connection. Now, the only thing that I'm getting from the Gilbert Parker connection, really, is the tie to Montreal, the way that you can tie the verse to this image. I can't find any other way that you would attribute this verse solidly to Montreal, except that you can cite two or three instances. There's a, the wingless bird ascended is another Parker line. So you have three quotes, three lines, three, uh, I guess, combinations of words, George will call them, that have no correlation whatsoever. But I think that this is the way that he's giving us to match this verse to this image is this connection through poet and uh, politician, Gilbert Parker. I googled the word windswept and citadel, and there's 1,240,000 results, one of which is Last Citadel, a novel of the Battle of Cursed, where it says the wind swept everything away. And there's one called The Secret Citadel, which is a book that says the empty vineyards across which the wind swept, really scratched, whatever. But none of those tie to Montreal, do they? Does Parker, right? Parker was from Ontario. And yes, he wrote about French-Canadian culture and some history. That's tough, John. I, there's random words that go to random works of Parker's. You know? This is a renovator find. This isn't my... Uh, well, I mean, if you look at credit, right? I just... I want to give him credit. It's an interesting find. I think that there's something there, but there's a lot to argue against on it as well. I don't buy it. The other literary clues that you have in verses, there's nothing to argue about them. Treasure Island is Treasure Island. That's what it is. Abroad in America, the lines from... Oh, you can look up Edwin and Edwino were named after him. You can find a lot of results on that too, but you know... Well, no, the lines from Abroad in America, that's what they are. You know, that's what they are and they're associated with the city they're associated with. It's just what they are. They're not 
you know, two words that are put together that happen to be in another book that happen to be written by a dude that's from Canada. Like that's, it's just a little, it's a little too stretchy for me. What about the Bridge of a Hundred Spans, which contains more references where he says, one more hap in a hapless world, one more wreck where the tide is swirled, one more heap in a waste of sand. He goes on to talk about all these things. And then, you know, one of the lines is, one more flight of a wingless bird. That's pretty, uh, pretty dead on. A wingless bird ascended is our line. We're taking, what, four or five different lines, tying it to three different works by one guy that's from Ontario. I'd want something better than an opal. Right. <laughs> a wingless bird is a really, really common phrase. Wingless bird is just is super common, and it's a, it's a common word for helicopters. Yeah, well, that's what everybody else online gravitates to. The hints obviously tell us that it's a term like iron horse or motorcycle, as you would call it, an iron horse. So a wingless bird, sure. Uh, helicopter, air balloon, hot air balloon is a wingless bird. The Japanese hints pretty, called out pretty specifically that that was a helicopter. Is that true? I don't think that's true. They referred to it as as worded the same way you would call a motorcycle an iron horse. Iron horse is really, you know, it's common for a motorcycle. Wingless bird is common for uh, a helicopter. Do people actually say that? Wingless bird? Yeah. Maybe that is it. I mean, it's an American thing, but yeah. I've never heard that phrase. Say them in Japan just as easily as in the United States. They did They did say that, yeah. This is something you can see in Japan. I don't know how the hell you tie it to, to the area or to Montreal, but I agree it makes a lot of sense. I mean, is there a helicopter pad on top of the George Stephen Club? Was he that rich? He was definitely that rich. I don't know that he had a helicopter at that time. I'm just trying to figure out how it could be of any help. In 1800s, right? Yeah, 1800. Yeah, I'm sure they had the Da Vinci helicopters, right? You know, the irony of that statement, John, is the Expo 67 site on St. Helens Island, the Air Canada Pavilion was shaped exactly like the Da Vinci drawing. The wingless bird ascended, born of ancient dreams of flight. The perfect fit for it is on St. Helens Island. And if you want to go really deep on that, and I can share some stuff with the folks that like St. Helens Island, I can make almost the entire verse fit to the pavilions. So even down to of a forest, there was a forest pavilion that were paper. It was amazing. can really go off on a tangent with Expo 67. It's absolutely nowhere near the one clear image match in the painting. You know, it's a big problem. I can't get past that. Well, here's another thing. If you look at this in comparison to Milwaukee, other than the similarity between the lion's face and the juggler's face, we have basically a similar thing going on. We have a recognizable relief on a statue three miles away from where we're looking. And, you know, aside from that pear tree, which we only have pictures of, uh, there's no other real solid image matches going on in Lake Park. I guess you could say the T-balls, but still you have this hand that's three miles away. Now you have a bunch of stuff on St. Helens Island that corresponds to what John's talking about, and then you have obviously the stuff that's going on miles away at the Mount Stephen Club downtown. 
I think you're right on. Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, you're right on. I see similarities, but at least Milwaukee has whatever building that is. You know, there's something very clear in Milwaukee. Montreal doesn't even have that, right? No, you have that lamp really is what you have. And you have some map connections, rivers that look similar. It almost feels like an afterthought. This painting to me almost feels like an afterthought. Well, we have to consider that the Rembrandt connection, it's obviously a tag to the Rembrandt self-portrait. That theft happened right by where that club is. There has to be some kind of connection there with that. Historically, it seems like he wanted you to look into that. You would think. I don't know. I don't know how else to connect it to the Dutch somehow. The only other thing I'll mention about the Dutch, Netherlands, Holland, there's a building on Drummond. It's right across from the Salvation Army Citadel building. And it's called, I believe, Mitchell in Holland. I don't know if it's still Mitchell in Holland. I don't know when it changed, but I know at the time the building was Mitchell in Holland. And I believe it's engraved on the building, Mitchell dash Holland. And you're saying that that's across from the Salvation Army building, which is called the Citadel. Correct. Well, the Salvation Army building is now owned by, I believe, Alcan or or some major corporation. But at the time, it was the Salvation Army Citadel and chiseled in stone on the building. Okay. So Citadel is in stone. That's a dead-on connection. That was another place of interest where people were looking. I know we had talked about it a little bit. Moving on to more of these lines, which just don't really help. You know, you have of a forest to the south, white stone closest at 12 paces, etc., etc. Some of these lines fit into what some people feel is an acrostic puzzle going on in the verse, which either says Abbot or Cabot. We've gone round and round about this. Things are spelt wrong to be lining up with things that we found. We haven't found this name on anything, have we? That's a tough one, right? It it appears to be an acrostic. There's a square near the old hockey arena, the Forum, called Cabot Square. The square is named after John Cabot, who was an Italian explorer Hmm. and had some ties into Canada. His name is spelled C-A-B-O-T. I'm not sure that that's a fit. And then we also have John Abbott, who was a prominent politician from Montreal, but his name is spelled A-B-B-O-T-T, if I'm not mistaken. So each one is a letter off. Yeah, everything's a letter off. I don't know. I mean, the whole verse is unusual. And, you know, when you look at that piece, Forrest Blight brought up recently, it spells tobacco. In reverse, you know, minus the O. If you're if you're saying it could be Cabot or Abbott, why isn't it tobacco? Right, right. I guess that's just as good as what we're looking at here, right? I mean, there's still no answer for that. It remains a mystery. Certainly, there's there's these dig instructions in here. So and so many paces, white stone closest from the west side. All of this is possible at the Mount Stephen Club. Okay, on the front lawn. John has checked this out. He's measured it. He's looked at it. He's postulated where this thing could be. But here's what I'm going to bring up. Here is the Mount Stephen Club problem that comes into play. Well, first of all, as we said before, he was one of the richest men in Montreal. Everything in there is very unique and rich. 
It was turned into a private club in the 1980s. Of course, you wouldn't be able to just start digging on their lawn. It begs the question, why would he bury it on the lawn of an exclusive private club in the middle of downtown Montreal? And what manager of the place would give permission for some treasure hunter to start tearing up their pristine lawn, which they have weddings on and social gatherings? You know, it's, it's just a big problem. And on top of that, we can see in different stages of Google Maps going back through the years that, as John said, there was a, a ton of construction done there since the 80s. I can find one picture on Google with the whole entire lawn torn up. I mean, if it was there, I, I just got to get your take on this, John. There's, there's just too many strange things to talk about. You did pose to me the, you know, the Gallier Hall thing. If it could be in the corner of Gallier Hall, it certainly could be in the lawn of the Mount Stephen Club, but it's a lot. I mean, get permission, go ask the guy, can I put a hole on your lawn? And would he put it there? I mean, what's your take on that? I absolutely agree with you. I look at it as if he was bold enough to bury it at Gallier Hall, he may be bold enough to bury it here. This was slightly off the the main path in the 80s, but it was a private gentleman's club. That leads me to believe that get permission could tie in, right? It's too hard to tell. The, the biggest thing that I have a problem with when I look at the Mount Stephen Club, if it's on the lawn, I believe it must be on the southern side of the lawn, and it's probably back in the far corner. In the 80s, there were two trees on the lawn, one on each side, only one on each side. One on each side. But why do I need all those instructions? We're looking at like a 25-foot square area, square foot area, right? Beneath the only standing member of a forest to the south, Whitestone closest at 12 Yeah, it's a very long list of convoluted. Come on, take five steps from the leg eater. We were talking about this before we went on air, and I had asked you, did, while you were there, did you see a specific white stone anywhere and i know the facades change so who knows it may not if it was something that was on the front of the building could be gone now you had some ideas that the stone possibly isn't even a, a stone like a stone you'd see on the ground but an an ornamental display the way the verse reads to me it says white stone closest that implies there's multiple stones the only thing that i could come up with at the club is the fence columns or posts, the stone posts, they're, they're very light. You could possibly call them white stones, and there's multiple. So you would have to pick which one. Even that feels stretchy to me. You know, my issue with this is I want it to be perfect, and nothing I can come up with feels even close to perfect. To, to put it in perspective, this would be like if you got to the fence post in Chicago and there was no 10 by 13, you didn't see anyone sitting, there was nothing from the verse at all that you could find, but you just could find this fence post and that's all you could see and there was nothing else. I mean, that's kind of what this feels like. We find this one rock solid thing and then nothing, not even instructions that seem to fit with it. 
Could you even take the New Orleans verse and make it fit at the Mount? Is there any verse that you could make fit at the Mount Stephen Club? I believe that I was using the New Orleans verse originally. Mm-hmm. I don't have a good answer for the ending, and that's that's an issue. I have a pet theory for White Stone closest. White Stone, if you translate it to French, it is Pierre Blanc or Pierre Blanche. It could be a very common French name. Again, it probably a stretch, but just something to think about, right? If you're looking to get permission, perhaps White Stone closest isn't a stone, but is a French person. Food for thought. Very good, very good. And then the last line of the the verse is to dig out. Uh, obviously, uh, it would apply to the line before. So, I mean, a very cryptic verse, a very problematic location, not a lot of favorable situations going on here. George, do you have anything you want to add to all of this? Was there anything that you wanted to go over that we would have missed? I had a really, really good theory that it was buried in a planter across the street until I found out it was that wasn't built until like 1997. One thing I did want to bring up that I thought was an interesting fact that John had pointed out to me a while ago. Didn't one of the authors uh, attend graduate school very close to the Mount Stephen Club? Yeah, and this this is something that I can't completely confirm, but Sean Kelly is originally from Montreal. He went to Loyola, and that's where he went to undergrad. After undergrad, he went to Sir George Williams University for some grad classes. One of the buildings that hosted classes for Sir George Williams University was the building directly across the street from the Mount Stephen Club. It was a YMCA. I'm pretty sure that would be the building that the classes were at. And eventually, George Williams and Loyola came together. He was before that time. I mean, Sean Kelly could essentially have seen those uh, two lamps every time he exited his grad school. Very interesting. Very interesting. I just want to remind everyone, first off, that next episode, since this is the conclusion of the 12-part series that we aim to do, next episode, we're just going to kind of have a Christmas episode It's going to be a free-for-all. We're going to have a kind of an open line, so to speak, to everyone in the team. And we're all going to talk about things that have happened over the year, interesting finds, interesting online conversations, among other things, and just generally kind of chat about the year of The Secret and some things that have happened. It should be a very fun episode. I think maybe we can get Kit to come on, too, and, and kind of sit around and BS with us. So that's coming up next month. That's all the time we have this month. I want to thank John for joining us and telling us his thoughts on Montreal. You can connect with John and all of the other people on the podcast team, including myself and George, by joining our Facebook page. It's Shh, The Secret Podcast. You can search it with uh, S and three H's after it. And of course, you can always get more information like the complete Japanese translations on our website, uh, 12treasures.com. And George, I think that's the number, or you could spell it out, right? Yeah, either way, it doesn't matter. All right, so there you have it. For George Ward, I'm John Michaels. Until next time. Tune in next time for another edition of Secret Podcast with your hosts, JM and Bernstein. Available on iTunes.